Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Howard David Live. The face you see is that of uh, Hall of Famer. He is Warren Moon, nine-time pro bowler. Do you have any regrets about your career? You know, Howard, I um, I wish I would have had a little more fun playing the game. I, I was too serious, I think, all the time because I know I had a lot of people watching me all the time and, and analyzing me and wondering if I was worth it all and and wondering, uh, you know, just as an African-American quarterback, if it was like good enough. So I, I always was trying to be so careful and I always was trying to do everything right. And uh, I think I, I really didn't enjoy the ride as much as I probably should have. So I think that was my biggest regret. The only time I really enjoyed the game was when we won. But, but anytime after after Sunday, it was right back to the grind on Monday again of just of just being serious about it all until that next game. When you think about Kansas City uh, and the way they got to kick the winning field goal and Joseph Asai's penalty, uh, there was no question it was a penalty. Uh, so that gave him 15 yards instead of a 60-yard kick. They kicked a 45-yard on one. So when you when you think of Asai and the entire Cincinnati team and how heartbreaking that loss was, I mean, I, I remember a game that I did that you were that you lost to Buffalo in that in the wild card game, is that the most disheartening game you've ever been involved with? Yeah, I'd have to say, because I thought that team was good enough to maybe win a Super Bowl if we would advance past that uh, that round. Um, and you hate because when you get in the playoffs, there's so much uh, enthusiasm, there's so much uh, anticipation, there's so much thinking about the next, the next game because you just want to advance. That's what you're all in there to do is try and win one game in advance. And then all of a sudden it comes to a grinding halt. You know, as soon as that game is over and all you can start thinking about now is cleaning out your locker and, and are you moving your family back home, all these different things that go along with it. So it, it is a uh, it is a, a really an emotional moment when you lose a playoff game. That's for any of these teams that were in the playoffs this year. That's for any teams that have been in the playoffs year after year. But when you lose a heartbreaker like that, that makes it even a little bit worse. Because you start second-guessing everything you think you could have did better to maybe win the football game. Um, as an African-American, certainly you're uh, cognizant of the fact that you got two black quarterbacks starting in this Super Bowl for the very first time. Uh, and coincidentally, both of them are dealing with injuries. Uh, Mahomes, I think, is, might be the more serious uh, with the high ankle sprain, but Hurts is dealing with a sore shoulder. Uh, and so you, you wonder if that plays a role in this game in terms of the other team's preparation. 
Yeah, first of all, let me say I'm very proud of the fact that both of these guys are African-American and being in the biggest game in sports, uh, leading their football teams. That's something that uh, we've fought for for a long time to try and earn that credibility that, that we were good enough to do that. And uh, and that's happening right now. Um, but, you know, these two guys, they're young. Uh, I think they're going to be at many more Super Bowls. And uh, the fact that they are hobbling a little bit, uh, doesn't help because you'd love to see him at 100%, but I don't think anybody's at 100% at this point during the season. Mm. Patrick's injury probably is a little bit more um, serious than Jalen's only because what makes Patrick special is his movement and his, able, his, his ability to be able to get out of the pocket and make things happen uh, after the play, you know, extend plays and, and make uh, off-schedule plays. He's limited in doing that now, so that takes away probably, I don't know, 40% of his game. Uh, He's still really good from the pocket, but you you always want to have that element because now teams can, like you said, prepare for you a little bit differently, knowing that you're probably not going to have as much athleticism and mobility, so they can gear their pass rush towards how they want to keep you in the pocket. And I think uh, Philadelphia will definitely try and do that in this game. And then Jalen Hurts, it's really hard to say what his injury is. I, I know everybody knows what it is, but it's hard to say how, to what degree it's bothering him because – he still throws the football, but I don't think he's as effective, especially in that last game, as uh, as we've seen him all season long. He, he really didn't take any deep shots down the field, and that's something he's been known for. He's probably got one of the higher percentages in deep balls this year, and that, that takes a big uh, part of his game away because th those are big plays, that uh, big chunk plays that you, you uh, rely on, and the other team has to always be aware of that when you have two good receivers on the outside like that, they can go deep. So... Uh, yeah, it's going to hamper both quarterbacks, but I think what it does is just it just makes that court, that position even more even now because both quarterbacks are injured as opposed to only one of them being injured. Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. Uh, I don't know if if you felt the way I did in watching Cincinnati, Kansas City last week, but I'm surprised that Cincinnati didn't try to put more pressure on Mahomes to get him out of the pocket and and really and credit his offensive line giving him that time well credit the offensive line and also their offensive scheme they they had a a, um, a pass uh plan in that game to get the ball out of his hands really quickly so he was throwing a lot of quick short passes that didn't allow their defensive pass rush to get to him he never really had to hold the ball that long they kept themselves in manageable third down situations most of the time so I think Andy Reid did a great job knowing that his quarterback wasn't going to be as mobile, knowing he wasn't going to be able to move outside the pocket as much. So let's get the ball out of his hands really quickly so he doesn't have to worry about that pass rush getting up in his face. It's interesting, the, the irony that exists. We already talked about the two black quarterbacks. You've got two brothers playing against each other, the Kelseys. Uh, you've got Andy Reid, who coached the Eagles for 14 years. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's, there's a lot of a lot of ironies in this particular game. Uh, I find it interesting that the Eagles and they I don't think anybody plays defense better than they do or as good. But 70 quarterback sacks. I mean, that, that that's a, I think at least 10 better than the next team. Uh, that's a huge weapon. It's a huge weapon, especially for a quarterback that's not as mobile going into this game. And, and we saw what happened with Brock Purdy. We saw what happened with Josh Johnson and with the 49ers. They just continually put pressure on those guys whenever they had to hold the football. So I think the Chiefs will come into this game with, with a uh, 
you know, a similar you know pass attack is, is trying to get the ball out of Patrick's hands really quickly, trying to run the ball as successfully as they can to keep themselves in those manageable third and fours, third and threes. So again, you don't have to hold the ball that long on third down because that's when they become very, very tenacious with that pass rushes on third and long, and they just unleash those guys. They, they've got four guys, I think, with over 11 sacks. Mm -hmm. Unheard of. And you got inside guys as well as your defensive end. So it's not just the guys on the edge you have to worry about. You have to worry about those guys on the interior as well. Well, Reddick, I think, had 16 sacks this year. He had two last week. Uh, I don't know if it was Cincinnati or – but here's Kansas City with five sacks of Joe Burrow last week. I did not see that coming. I didn't think their defense was going to be that much, put that much pressure on Burrow. Well, you just knew um, with three backup offensive linemen, at some point, mm. weakness was going to show itself. And I think in Buffalo, what helped them was the snow. The, the defensive ends couldn't get any traction to really, you know, get up the field and, and make any uh, pressure on uh, on Burrow. So it was, it was tailor-made for him, and it was tailor-made for that offensive line because those guys didn't have the speed that they normally have on Buffalo, and they ran the ball very well against Buffalo, too. So that, that kind of kept them off balance. But in this game against Kansas City, it was, it was the faster track, and they got themselves in some long yardage situations, and that plays right into a team that can really rush the passer. So uh, Kansas City took advantage of that, and, and that, that uh, weakness of three guys up front being backup players showed itself. Uh, when you think about uh, Kansas City averaged 28 points a game this year. I think they led the league in that category. Uh, we know what Travis Kelsey is all about. We know he's a, he's, a, he's a weapon. He's probably the best tight end in the league. But in view of what Marcus Valdez uh, Scantling did last week with six catches for 110 yards, he gives him somebody else that Philadelphia's got to be aware of. Well, they've been hoping for that all season long from him, and he finally came up in the biggest game of the year. He's got that kind of ability. He has great speed. He has great uh, length as far as uh, his catch radius and that. And he made some of those type catches when he played with uh, with Green Bay last year. And he, he showed up in this game the biggest way because they were missing some guys um, out of their lineup. I think Juju uh, Schuster wasn't there. Um, I think uh, Hardman got hurt in that ball game. So th those backup guys needed to stand up, and they did in that ball game for, uh, for Patrick Mahomes. And they're going to have to do it again in the Super Bowl. We're not sure if all those guys are going to be healthy again for, for the Super Bowl game. The, the Eagles, uh, it's almost like, I, I don't know if, if we expect to see a shootout in this game. I don't. And every time I say I don't, <laughs> then all of a sudden you wind up seeing two teams scoring over 30 points. Well, these two defenses, I think, are too good for a shootout, especially Philadelphia. Uh, they can really clamp you down on the outside. They have two really good corners. Um, their safeties are very good as well. So I, I see this game in the high 20s. Uh, I don't see it being a shootout, but I, I see it in the high 20s. Um, I think Philadelphia is a little bit better overall of a roster, especially with Patrick uh, hobbling a little bit. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kansas City wins this football game just because it's that close. I think, it, you know, I think it's a two-point spread or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's that's about right. This game, to me, that that goes either way. That's a field goal away from, from winning the football game. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> Coincidentally, I happened to be watching, uh, I think it was Rocky Four, Maybe it was Rocky Five. I don't know. There's so many of them. But there's one way, the kid that he, the Tommy Gunn, the guy that he, he brings up, the young kid, and he's watching him fight on television, and he's hitting the bag as he's watching 
do you sit there when you, I mean, in view of all the years you played in the NFL, you find yourself getting so keyed up watching a game that you envision yourself in the situations you're watching? You know, I don't get keyed up because I think in my position as a quarterback, one of the things I always wanted to do was try and calm down. Uh, all the other guys going into games, they're listening to this loud, either rock music or rap music, trying to get themselves amped up for the game. I'm listening to Yanni, and I'm listening to, to jazz, and I'm listening to things that are going to make me calm because as a quarterback, you don't want to be amped for a game. You want you want to have all your uh, you want to have all your, your your brain cells working in the right way. You, you want to make sure you're clear in your conscience and all that. So that's what I looked at. And when I look at a game now, when other people are, are going crazy and screaming and hollering, I'm analyzing plays. I'm looking at, at little things that they probably wouldn't even see that uh, I can go right back when the replay comes. I, I can basically say what the replay is going to be because I, I saw something that nobody else did see. So when I watch the game, I watch it a little bit differently than most people that I watch it with. He is a Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon, as you um Get ready to see the Super Bowl. It's not until the week from Sunday. But, uh, I mean, I, I find myself watching the game a different way than you do, obviously. You're watching it uh, clinically, I think, would probably be a way to describe it. <laughs> well, I, I watch it a lot like an analyst, too, because I did that for so long, you know, with the Seattle Seahawks. So as a quarterback, I'm analyzing the game. And then as an analyst uh, for, for television or, or radio, I'm, I'm watching it that way as well. And I can't get away from that. Uh, Russell Wilson goes from Seattle to Denver. What happened to him this year? Was it just uh, he's just gotten to a point in his career? Was it his team? How did you? How did you? How can you explain uh, what a rough year he had? Yeah, I, first of all, I think Russell put a lot of pressure on himself uh, with the way he came into Denver, the way he, uh, you know, boasted about you know, having the biggest house in Denver. He spent $25 million on it and mm. had 12 bathrooms. And that became a, a that became a joking point throughout the whole season that if this house has 12 bathrooms and he only has eight touchdown passes, you know, those types of things. People pointed <laughs> off of that all season long. Every week there was a comparison to his number of bathrooms to his number of touchdown passes. And just all the social media stuff that he was doing that puts a lot of pressure on you now. You coming in there with this huge contract, people are going to have expectations. That was one thing. And then I, Russell doesn't want to be the quarterback that he was in, in Seattle. Russell wants to be more of a passer from the pocket. And I don't think he had, that's not his best ability. What makes Russell special is what he does on the edges. What makes him special is his play action passes. What makes him special is his deep shots down the field. He wanted to be more like a Drew Brees and stay in the pocket and throw the football. That's not his game. He's not tall enough, first of all. He has a tough time seeing things. So when you can't see all the field from the pocket, you cut down on your ability to, to, to make plays. And most of his plays, even in here in Seattle, were somewhere in the numbers to the outside. And the middle part of the field is hard for him to see because he's only five foot ten. So he has a tough time seeing certain routes in there. So, and this is this is something he asked for. So it wasn't like their coach was making him do these things. This is what he wanted. I think Russell needs to get back to who he was when he was in Seattle, getting out on the edge, making things happen with play action, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of waggles, things like that. He, he doesn't have the uh, athleticism that he had a few years ago, and, and nobody does, but he still can make enough plays with his legs to go along with 
with making plays outside the pocket, which is, which is where he's most effective. In, the, in keeping with the Seattle thought, Geno Smith had a pretty good year. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody remembers Geno Smith when he failed in New York with the Jets. Yeah. He didn't resemble anything like that. I thought he, I thought he had a pretty solid year. Geno had an all-pro year. I mean, he's in the Pro Bowl. Um, Geno, I think, you know, he was very immature when he came into the league, but very talented physically. He got into it with some of his Jets teammates when he was there. That didn't that didn't go over very well when your quarterback is fighting your teammates. But I think what Geno learned over the years, being behind Eli Manning, being behind Phillip Rivers, being behind Russell Wilson, he learned how to be a professional and how to prepare, and he became much more mature. And when he got his second chance, he was ready. And, and it just took him a little bit longer to be ready than most. Fortunately, he still had that athleticism and that physical ability of being able to throw the football. And uh, everything worked for him here in Seattle this year because he had been in the system for three years, being behind Russell for two. He knew it inside and out as, as a backup. He studied very hard when he was a backup. And he went out there and made things happen. He had two really good receivers and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf who had great years and they ran the ball pretty effectively. So things worked out well for Geno and he's going to be a very rich man here pretty soon. Hmm. Yeah, I like Lockett a lot because he was on my fantasy team. He did a lot of good things. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 a, he's a good one, a good kid too. I played with, I played with his dad, Kevin, in Kansas City. Let's talk about the the, the pair now, the quarterbacks. We got Mahomes and and Hurts. Uh, you got a guy who's been to the Super Bowl three of the last four years. The other guy has not been on that stage. Is that a factor? I think it's a factor maybe in the in the in the last two minutes if the game is close, something like that. But Jalen Hurts has been in a lot of big football games. He hasn't been in a Super Bowl game, but he's been in national championship games, a couple of them, won one of them, uh, played half of another one before he was replaced by Tua. So he's been on the big stage before. Uh, I think he, he knows what that's all about. Um, so he'll be okay. And he's got such a great calm demeanor. The guy comes so prepared. He's so mature for, for a young guy his age. So I don't think it's going to bother him as much as most. Uh, but Patrick definitely has the advantage of being there, having been there three times. And, and he also has a, uh, a chip on his shoulder from the last time he was there. They didn't play very well. And they got their butts handed to him by, by Tampa. So they're hungry for another Super Bowl win. Warren, uh, you got – Four, the last four quarterbacks, I mean, the, the conference championship games, all four young quarterbacks. And that brings me to the, the, the transition we're going through right now in the NFL. People talking about Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to still be in Green Bay? Tom Brady, is he going to retire again? Is he going to be with Tampa? If not, where is he going to be? So you got a lot of unanswered questions about some of the great quarterbacks we've had in the league. Aaron Rodgers, do you expect him to be a Green Bay Packer uh, coming this season? I do. Uh, I think he's either going to be in Green Bay or retire. Uh, there's not a lot of teams that can pick up his salary. I mean, he, unless he's willing to do something drastically to, to that salary of his, you know, $59 million he's, at, he's owed this year. You take that to another team, even though the salary cap is going up this year to $225 million, that's a big part of your cap for one player. Um, I would think the Jets would probably be the only team that, that might go after him because they're pretty much a quarterback away from being a playoff team, and who knows what else they could be after that. Uh, but other than that, I don't see a lot of different places he could go. 
when you bring that much money in and now all of a sudden are you going to be able to keep the other players to make your team competitive? So I think either Green Bay or he retires. And I don't think he's going to retire because that's a lot of money to leave on the table, especially mm-hmm. when it's guaranteed money. But yeah, know, I, think, I think Aaron relishes in the fact that he loves this attention in the offseason about what he's going to do. He, he, he does not want to just get away and be by himself and not be talked about it. He wants to be in the conversation every day. And that's why he puts all this stuff out there. What am I going to do? Am I going to be back? He wants everybody to just be on pins and needles the whole offseason waiting to see what his, what his decision is going to be. I live in the New York metropolitan area, as you know, and uh, a lot of conversation, a lot of stories being written in the local papers. Aaron Rodgers, the Jets should do whatever they got to do to get him. Uh, keep in mind, he's going to have to be traded uh, to get right. there. But from his point of view, I mean, he could walk into a situation where he's got a good receiving core. He's got good tight ends. Uh, he's got when Brees Hall comes back, he's got a very good running back and good backups there. The offensive line needs some work. But I could, I, I don't know what it would take to entice him. You've already said it, $59 million is a lot to turn down. It's a lot to turn down, but can, can the Jets fit it into their, uh, their salary cap as well? Because they have a good defense, too, a really good defense. They yes. They have a top five defense in the league. So everything is kind of there to make things happen. I don't know where they are salary cap-wise, and that has something to do with every contract. But um, – that would be a good place for him to settle down. Now, ironically, that believe it or not, when Brett Favre left the Green Bay Packers, where did right. he go when he left the Green Bay Packers? He went to the New York Jets. So I don't know if Aaron Rodgers wants to follow in Brett Favre's footsteps. Uh, Tom Brady. Uh, a lot of conversation about Brady. 46-year-old guy. We all talk about it. Uh, last year was a rough year for him. Uh, does he look at it at, in his mind, being a realist, does he look in his mind saying, you know, maybe it's time for me to stop? Yeah, there's two ways he's going to look at that uh, with his Tom Brady. He's going to say, maybe it's time for me to, to move on because I, I can't do it like I used to. Or maybe he looks at it as, I don't want to go out like that. I want to go out playing better than that. And knowing Tom and, and how competitive he is, that might be the way he's looking at it too. So I think that's what he's taking this time to do right now is, is way whether he's willing to put in the time that it's going to take to get himself back up to that level. Or maybe he's thinking about, hey, maybe this is the time for me to, to bow out and, and, and move on. Um, so I think we'll get that answer probably in the next month or so. But, uh, you know, if he does leave the game, I, I tell you what, he has nothing to be ashamed of. No. The greatest careers of any player in any sport. You look at, uh, and there was talk that, you know, maybe he'd be interested in going going back to San Francisco where he's from that area, but they've got Garoppolo. They've got Lance. They've got Brock Purdy. Uh, I mean, I got to look at Brock Purdy as the favorite to win that job. They've got two young quarterbacks and then Jimmy is always there as their uh, utility emergency quarterback. If they need him, I think Jimmy's going to get moved this off season and, and play somewhere else, but. Uh, they do have two young quarterbacks, one that they invested a lot in as far as draft picks and that in, in Trey Lance. So I, I think they would want to move down that road with those two young guys. But they also have a team that's ready to win right now. So and, and if a Tom Brady's inserted in there, um, he makes you ready to win right away. So, it, again, it's going to be an interesting offseason. It always is. And uh, that's what I love about NFL football. It never goes away. Even when the games stop, 
it continues to keep going. That's why it's the most popular sport in our country right now. Hey, Warren, let, let, let's go, go back to the Jets thing for a second. If they fail to get Aaron Rodgers, Garoppolo's out there. Derek Carr is out there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what's the best fit for them, but clearly they need a veteran quarterback. And they still hold out hope that Zach Wilson's going to finally emerge. Uh, I need to see it. Uh, I need to be that, – that has to be proven. And we haven't seen any evidence that he can be a big-time quarterback. Yeah, I think he just has to get serious about football. He doesn't seem like a guy that's really serious about the game, the way he plays it. He just plays it kind of lacklusterly, and he doesn't um, work on his mechanics very well, or you can tell that because he doesn't show that in the games. Throws a lot of sidearm passes, backing up, just just not a lot of good fundamental uh, technique to his game. He's got to improve that, and that's going to take work in the offseason of just repetitions, repetitions, repetitions with whatever quarterback coach that he's going to work with. And then he just got to show that he he loves the game. I don't know if he's a kid that loves that loves the hell out of football, and you have to love this game in order to be able to be good at it. So that those are questions he has to answer only for himself inside. Uh, but there are a lot of veteran quarterbacks that could be on the market this offseason. We talked about Aaron. We talked about Tom. Like you said, Garoppolo, uh, Derek Carr. Those four guys right there. Geno Smith is a free agent. It doesn't mean that Seattle's going to sign him automatically. He could be out there on the market. And I'm sure And you've got Carson Wentz. And there's a lot of other guys that, that are out there. So you just never know. And then the, the rookie class isn't that strong. I think there's maybe two guys in the rookie class uh, that, that you can really count on. So these veteran guys are going to be placed somewhere this offseason. Uh, analyze Baker Mayfield. What are your thoughts about him? You know, he's a he's an interesting guy. He's got to be put in the same, I mean, in the right situation. He's got to have a lot around him because he's not going to be able to carry you with who he is. And he, and he has some limitations because of his size as well. But he's a fiery guy. He, he's got some uh, he's got some athleticism to him. Um, he gets guys motivated by the way he, he plays. But he's also, he's up and he's down, too. When he's down, he's down. I don't know if he's a guy that you can just pin your hopes on to be the franchise guy to take you where you want to go, but he's definitely a good, I think he'd be a good bridge quarterback for some team that maybe is drafted a young guy and needs a year or so to, to groom and Baker's going to be your guy until he's ready, or he'll be a very, very strong backup for somebody. One more quarterback I want to ask you about, Dak Prescott. Now you're not in the Dallas area. You don't see what's going on there, but Jerry Jones, Look, he hasn't been to the Super Bowl since 1995. Let's just say he's a little hungry. Uh, Dak Prescott, you know, we've seen the best of him. We've seen the worst of him. How, how do you look at him? Uh, is he a guy that can take Dallas to that next level? Again, he's almost not like Baker Mayfield, but almost like Baker Mayfield. He needs pieces around him uh, to make sure that uh, they make the game easier for him. I think a, a strong running game, which I think they have in Tony Pollard, I think moving forward is going to be a big part of it. And then play calling is going to be um, very important with him. Sometimes they tend to make Dak to be like he's this, this gunslinger, like a Brett Favre or somebody like that, where he can throw the ball 40, 35 times a game. That's not Dak Prescott. When Dak was having his best success when he first came in the league, his first three or four years, he was somewhere in between 20 and 27 passes a game, 
high percentage, didn't turn the ball over, and they ran the football very well with Ezekiel Elliott. They need to get back to that where he's not throwing the ball 35, 40, 45 times a game because that's not Dak Prescott's strength. He's got all the intangibles you want to ask for. He's a great leader. Um, he's going to work hard. The guys want to follow him. But don't put him in situations where you're asking him to carry the football team because that's not him. But he can be a very, very important uh, piece of the puzzle as long as you use him right. All right, let me go into Warren Moon's crystal ball. Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl if. If they uh, eliminate or, or yeah, eliminate big plays by out of Philadelphia uh, and, and block their pass rush, because that's going to be a key for Patrick Mahomes being a hobble with that ankle. If they can block up their pass rush, Patrick will find the holes in the back end to make things happen. And just don't allow uh, Devontae Smith and, and A.J. Brown to make big plays down the field. Make them earn everything they have to, uh, to make on the ground. Or, or with short passes to, uh, to to score points. Otherwise, you get behind in the ball game. That's when that pass rush comes after you and and uh, needs you a lot. Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl because because they do get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. They make it very tough and difficult for him, almost to the point where maybe they injure him because that it doesn't take much to injure uh, an already injured ankle. All it takes is one good tackle and a twist, and the next thing you know, he's he's hobbling again. Um, and then they've got to make some big plays in the passing game. Last week, they won that game with 121 yards passing. I don't think they can do that this time. They're going to have to get some big strikes down the field to either one of those two wide receivers. If they can do that, they win the game. So where do you watch the game? At home or are you going to see some friends? I am actually going to the game, and I haven't been oh. to the Super Bowl probably in two or three years. I, I tend to go home right before the game because I'm usually in the Super Bowl city doing – a bunch of different things prior to, and then I go home. But I think I'm going to stay and watch it this year. My friend, always great talking to you. You're the best. I, people don't don't know, but I've seen it. Uh, you got a great sense of humor, and I miss that. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Howard. Great talking to you, my man, and I'll talk to you down the road, okay? You got it. Stay safe. You too. He is uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, uh, outstanding uh, quarterback when he played in the NFL. And he fully understands what these young guys are going through. We're going to change gears a little bit and, and meet up with Josh Klingler, who does the sideline broadcast for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I remember last week we were talking to Josh about, uh, you know, getting to that Super Bowl. What is it going to mean? Uh, and he's now going to experience it on the sidelines. So he doesn't have to worry about the weather. The weather's going to be good, Josh, right? I have used my uh, my battery powered heated jacket for the last time this season. Yes, <laughs> that's good for you. I, I I assume so. I assume so. I haven't. I guess I probably should check the four. I, mean, I think we're fine. Yeah, I think we're fine in Arizona. Yeah. So the the MVP of last week's Kansas City win over Cincinnati was wow Joseph Fakazi. Uh jo Joseph Sai probably up there as well. There were a lot of like uh, off the board heroes, certainly from a from a Chiefs perspective. Um, uh, Sky Moore, who is basically the rookie, who was basically their fourth punt return option. Uh, but because uh, all the wide receivers uh, dropped off during the game, he uh, became kind of a hero for his his punt return that set up the uh, the field goal. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, who suddenly has come alive in the playoffs, uh, having the big day when again all the receivers went down. 
Uh, Chris Jones uh, finally being, I guess, regular season Chris Jones in a playoff game that everybody had been waiting for. So I think from a Chiefs perspective, they had quite a few heroes. And then, oh, by the way, the the quarterback playing on whatever percentage at least one of his feet were in that game. Yeah. Prior to last week, when was the last time the Kansas City defense got to the quarterback five times? Well, I mean, they were what second in the NFL in sacks this year. I mean, they 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 got after people pretty well all year. It's it's been more of a postseason problem that had been really the case over the last couple of years. The the strangest stat was Chris Jones, who could very well be the you know defensive MVP of the league this year. Uh, registered his first and second career playoff sacks last week in the game. Uh, amazing. The guy's had that. He's had such a great impact. 15 and a half sacks during the regular season this year, but he had yet to register a playoff sack. Um, and then uh, Frank Clark, who's now, if, if, if this is a more bizarre trivia question, right? He is third all time in career playoff sacks hmm. behind only uh, Willie McGinnis. And he just passed Reggie White, but he's behind Bruce Smith. Not exactly the names you would. <laughs> he doesn't really fit among those names. Maybe in the uh, the all time hierarchy of postseason sacks. So no, they've been they've been doing a good job of getting after the quarterback this year. But um, we had to see it in the in the postseason. You know, that's where you it counts, right? Hey, Josh, you know what surprised me about Cincinnati last week? They didn't put enough pressure on on Patrick Mahomes. Here he is with a high ankle sprain, and you would think that that would be their priority. Was it that they were not effective? Was it the offensive line of the Chiefs that made a difference? How would you define it? Uh, maybe a little bit not effective because there have been times where they had uh, really been leaky along the offensive line. And I thought tackles held up pretty good uh, last week in, in doing that. And and I think the Chiefs were just really, really prepared for it, too. They brought pressure um, a number of times uh, just with the front three. But if they weren't getting stuffed down with the front three, they weren't gambling as much against the Chiefs uh, in previous editions. So I think that they were prepared for them probably to send more uh, players after Patrick Mahomes, certainly from an injury perspective, not to say to go and intent to injure him, but at least go and try to get him to move uncomfortably um, out of the pocket. And so, yeah, it was uh, the line held up. I think the chiefs probably schemed some things to, to, to help him out as well. And, and, and the Bengals probably didn't do as good a job as they'd hoped to. He's Josh Klingler, sideline reporter for Kansas city chiefs radio. Uh, you look at the, uh, the Eagles defense, they were the best in the league at getting to the quarterback 70 sacks, three guys had 11 or more. It's obviously something you pay attention to uh, when you get ready to prepare to play a team like that. Uh, but getting after the quarterback is always a priority for any team. They just yeah. do it better than everybody else. Yeah, and absolutely. That'll be a that'll be a concern. The Chiefs at times have have uh, allocated more resources to preventing people getting after the uh, the quarterback, whether it's having extra tight ends. They run a lot of three tight end sets um, as part of the uh, Andy Reid offense in this group. And then, uh, you know, leave especially Jerick McKinnon, they're uh, running back in to help chip at times too. So they've, they pushed help at the offensive line when need be. And so I'm sure that's going to be part of the case again against Philly. Um, prior to you coming on, Josh, uh, Warren Moon was my guest. Uh, Warren's an old friend. We work together a lot uh, in on national radio. I, he, I said to him, everybody's talking about the fact there were two black quarterbacks starting a Super Bowl for the very first time. And obviously mm -hmm. it's something that he paid attention to. But here's Patrick Mahomes, who's been there. He's been to the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts has not. How much of a factor is that? 
No, I think it, I think it does become a, a factor. I think at this point too, maybe what you don't know, you don't know, but we'll see how the next two weeks uh, can be overwhelming, right? Certainly next week can be overwhelming and how much you're paying attention, how much the, the, the coaching staff prepares you along the way. I know Andy Reed feels like he's got a pretty good uh, handle now on how uh, they go about setting up their next couple of weeks. Um, I would point maybe to Nick Sirianni. Does he have a full feel of how he wants to set things up for the Super Bowl? And then all the things that that go into the distractions and what have you. It's uh, it's quite a deal to 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 go through if you've not been through it before. So no, I do think it factors in maybe more so off the field than on the field um, heading into a, to a Super Bowl matchup. There's a lot going on that can be uh, distracting if you allow it to be. And this is a big week. I know it's a big week of prep here in Kansas City. Um, that's kind of how they go about getting in a lot of the game plan this week. And I don't want to say take it lighter next week, but make sure you get in as much work as possible this week, knowing that next week's uh, far from a, a, a regimented, nor- quote-unquote, normal football week for you. You've got a Super Bowl that's uh, got filled with a lot of ironies. We already talked about two African-American quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid coached the Eagles for 14 years, made the playoffs, I think, nine times. Uh, so... I don't know what I don't know if you even asked him about this, but it's something obviously he is very much aware of. And he'll downplay it. That's that's the thing. He's he's very great at compartmentalizing. And I was talking uh, this week on 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 our show to uh, to Dick Vermeil, the Hall of Fame head coach. He's really good friends as well with Andy and obviously has has coached in both locations. And he said he may be the best that's ever been at like it's just a game and then worry about that other stuff later. And so the fact that it's Philly, I don't know, have, has any added incentives. It's not like he will be uh, telling everybody about it, but everybody's aware, right? Everybody in that locker room's aware of, of where he was prior. And so it's, it's a big game without it being a big game for him. If that makes any sense, he won't allow it to be a storyline necessarily, but everybody knows it's, it's there. And certainly from a, uh, from a Philadelphia perspective, I've never seen anything like it. I, I I was reminiscing about the day Andy Reid was hired here in Kansas City and going to the uh, to the media event that they had out at the uh, out at the stadium. And I'm not so sure we weren't outnumbered by Philadelphia media on that day mm. for him to be uh, announced as the Chiefs head coach. Um, it was, and they've had a they've had a, a a fascination with him ever since, and certainly a lot of the attention in Philadelphia will be on Andy Reid. It's kind of strange to me in a way because you, yes, you you probably felt unfulfilled that he didn't win a Super Bowl there, but you've won one since he's been gone, so it shouldn't be as 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 pining as it as it seems it is sometimes. But uh, there will be a ton of uh, of attention and people trying to pull at him, obviously with having this matchup uh, with the Eagles. Got another irony too. You got brothers playing against each other for the first yeah. time, the Kelseys. So who is the family root for? <laughs> Uh, all of them. Yes. I think, I think, I think, I think all of them, I think it probably helps that they're on, on opposite sides of the ball, right. Both being on offense. So uh, yeah, I'm expecting they'll put on a, they'll put on a nice little show. Two of the more entertaining characters, obviously in the, uh, the NFL, um, their, their podcast has taken off and, and it showcased their um, both of their uh, fantastic personalities. And so, yeah, you couldn't ask for a better, better uh, pairing for that as well. We'll see if, either of them tone it down to a certain extent this week, or they play along or how they go about 
uh, handling it because uh, I know that at least from this perspective, I'm guessing for Phillies as well, that, you know, Andy Reid won't want too much distraction going on with that, but I'm sure that we're going to get enough playful, playful Kelsey's at some point in the next couple of weeks. Josh Klingler from the Kansas city chiefs radio broadcast. Uh, explain. I didn't go into it. What was the thing between Travis Kelsey and the mayor of Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the, uh, you know, when, when, when politicians uh, declare things, you know, ahead of time, it doesn't go over well. And so, yes, the mayor of Cincinnati had a, had a, a declaration about, you know, Joe Burrow and him taking over Kansas city and there are daddy and blah, blah, blah. And, and it didn't resonate too kindly here. Mm. Um, the mayor of Kansas city kind of backed off and didn't, didn't do any trash talk, you know, back that direction, but um, you know, it's something to do with a little city proclamation and that type of thing. So Travis made sure he, uh, he took care of it uh, with the uh, with the microphone afterwards. So just the the city the city trash talking I feel like is always it's always awkward when the uh, mayoral types get involved. You've got a lot of I mean right now we've got we've got an NFL where a lot of young quarterbacks. I mean the last four teams standing all had quarterbacks twenty seven or younger. Uh, now you've got some guys that have had big names. Aaron Rodgers comes to mind. We wonder what's Aaron Rodgers' future. Is he going to be with the Green Bay Packers? I mean, I live in the New York metropolitan area. So all you see is stories about Rodgers and the Jets got to do whatever they have to do to get him. Um, When I see it, I'll believe it. But is Aaron Rodgers done in Green Bay or do you think he still plays there? Because I can't see him just walking away. Yeah, I I can't either. I don't know. That's going to be a fun one to watch over the the entire offseason. And I hope it it takes some time because, I mean, Green Bay is not better without him. All right. <laughs> That's the thing still too, that you know, green Bay, I, I, we, I think I want to say twice, at least once, but if not twice, Jordan loves played against the chiefs and has not really showcases like, Oh, this is the guy that's in waiting. They obviously see him on an everyday basis behind the scenes or what have you, but it doesn't seem like anything out of green Bay says they're ready to turn the reins over. Right. So their best option still is Aaron Rodgers. Now, whether or not Aaron Rodgers wants to be there, you know, would be a, a valid question if he wants to take on a, a new challenge, a la Tom Brady, a la Peyton Manning, and follow those footsteps, and he could possibly be moving on somewhere else. But I, I guess until he's definitively done in Green Bay, I still think it's Green Bay. Tom Brady, uh, I can't say that he's done because he's proven everybody wrong. But now you look at his situation, does he want to go back to Tampa Bay? Are they good enough? Uh, can he continue to play at the level? And then you look at it and you're saying, he's 46 years old. I know he's an aberration. He's a phenomenal performer even now. But uh, if he doesn't play in Tampa Bay, and there was somebody who was talking about San Francisco. I said, no, no, they've got three guys already on their roster. They don't need him. Well, yeah, yeah, they figure out who who their guy is. That's a that's another question for another day, right? If they can sift through that, I I just still I think Vegas makes the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one, they need a quarterback. Two, they need uh, the the owner there's not been happy. They don't have a lot of home fans. It's a it's a it's a visiting fan destination. Well, you want to go sell some jerseys and and sell a, ba- a fan base i think i think tom brady 12 in a in a raiders jersey makes the most sense to me um and then he can you know work again with josh mcdaniels who obviously the two of them have have a history in in new england so that one seems to make a lot of sense to me for a number of reasons uh you know that's the uh 
Uh, there's no there's no LA connection, right? But that's that's as bright lights as you can get as well. And in, in, in Vegas, I, I think that one to me um, seems to be my favorite at the moment. And I'm saying at the moment, like right at this very moment, uh, because that subject has changed. And again, I hope it takes uh, <laughs> from a from a talk radio perspective. I want it to to go on as long as possible because I think it's a lot of fun. But um, I guess in my pecking order would be would be uh, Vegas. I guess Miami's out of the mix, but who yeah. knows? They were dabbling in it before, so I, I probably wouldn't rule them out either. And, uh, you know, would it be um, far-fetched to say a New York team might try to recruit them? I don't know. Uh, I, I I would think Tampa would be a distant I – f- I feel like Tampa's out no matter what. I don't know. Yeah, I think the Giants are going to uh, sign Daniel Jones to an extension. If they don't, that, that wouldn't shock me. Nothing does. But can you imagine Tom Brady in a Jets jersey? I can't. No, I no. mean that's that's a good, that's good sense of humor if you yeah. can see that. Right, right. I think. Well, yeah, I'm I'm playing it more for the dramatic portion of it. And <laughs> yes, I could see it in a Jets uniform. I think that would be a fantastic drama if that were to take place. But no, I I I don't see that one again. I I think I, I think Raiders as much as you know he is older as you'd mentioned, and I, I'm never going to slam the door on his on his uh, on his career, and I. You know, having to face him twice a, a year doesn't sound great, even still at the uh, the young age that he is. So I don't really want to see him in the AFC West, but I, I I can see a lot of sense in it. Caps going up to $225 million. Interesting to note, the Chicago Bears have $91 million to wow. spend. I mean, keep your eye on that team. That's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Or how they overspend, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 you'd love to say, "Oh, they'll everyone will spend wisely with their amount of money," but uh, that one, yeah, that one's indeed interesting. They got a lot of work though, so um, looks like they'll probably have to ante up on defense and probably get some wide receivers for for Justin Fields. Yeah, unless they just be... unless they just wanted to run, which I'm not. Maybe they just wanted to run. I don't know. He's a really good runner, so maybe maybe they're okay with that. And they'll beef up on offensive linemen, but I'd like to think they'd probably get some pass catchers and some some defensive ends with that money. Uh, and watching uh, the doubleheader last week, uh, the San Francisco uh, uh, San Francisco game with uh, Philadelphia I, was a dud. I thought it was uh, it was boring the hell out of me. So the Kansas City Cincinnati game <laughs> was anything less was a lot more than that dud. That was exciting to watch. And so uh, thank God for that game. <laughs> Well, it's good for us too because we're uh, we're very much in the pregame. We had the second game, so we're very much in our pregame. So I don't have a lot of time to watch that other game anyway. So I was glad that it was uh, nothing of any consequence because I guess uh, I didn't miss a lot, which was good. We were just we were just focused, and obviously uh, it was much harder last week while we're doing the pregame. Howard, you'll appreciate this while we're doing the pregame. I, I can't be watching the TV if I got to watch Patrick's ankle, right? <laughs> And every every move he was making during warmups and Travis Kelsey's back during warm we had so many uh, injuries to track for the uh, for the Chiefs last week I, I wouldn't have time to look up at the uh, the television monitor in the booth anyway so I was I for one was glad it was a dud I didn't miss anything but the obviously the look when you get a high ankle sprain generally it's a three or four week injury uh, Mahomes came out and played last week on it uh, the extra week now uh, how much does that help him? Will he be in a better better situation? Yeah. Well, none of us have seen him since, but he's he's played it off terrifically. Um, I, I last saw him Sunday Sunday night, and they won't really you won't really kind of get a look at him until later on in the week. But 
I'm assuming there was nothing more that, that I'm sure he was sore and I'm sure it ached and he had a couple of plays where he was wincing. Right. We all saw that on, sure. on, on Sunday, but you know, as much time as possible, the better, you know, it's, it's something that's still going to be bothering him in this game, no matter when now, because this isn't something that's going to heal until the off season at this point. So it's still kind of pain management, not making it worse, um, doing some things to, to, uh, and didn't, you know, put a ton of tape back over the shoe and things like that. So he was a lot more, I thought, flexible than he, than he was coming out of the divisional round game. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be more of the same that he'll, he'll gut his way through it and probably deal with it after the season. I have to believe in the Philadelphia defensive meetings that the focus is on Kelsey. Let's face it. He's, he's the go-to guy for Patrick Mahomes. Having said that, the way Scantling played last week, I mean, you can't ignore him. Yeah, well, much needed, too, because Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy that they'll be keeping an eye on for the Super Bowl as well. An injured knee going into last week, couldn't couldn't go the entire time last week. Kadarius Toney got hurt at wide receiver as well. He's been off injured, obviously, even prior to his days in Kansas City. Um, Cole Hardman, who was trying to come back from uh, an injury early in the season, he'd been on the kind of watch list and watch list, and I think probably got pressed into service uh, based on on some of the other injuries that were going on. Well, he couldn't finish the game. Uh, Justin Watson, another one of their wide receivers, he was sick and and was inactive for the for the game. And so basically they were playing with like uh, MVS and their fifth and sixth wide receivers. And those two did step up, including the, the rookie Sky Moore, but yeah, they needed every bit of, of, of Scantling in that game. And I think they're probably going to be more the same in the, in the, in the Super Bowl because uh, they're going to need to at least get a, a or multiple of those bodies back at the wide receiver position. We know Patrick's a magician and seemingly can do it all without, uh, you know, his full allotment of, of guys available, but yeah, it would serve them best if they can get at least one, if not two of those guys and, and back into, into service for the Super Bowl. Well, in view of where the game is, you probably ought to get some good suntan lotion. <laughs> You're going to enjoy the weather there. Yeah, my my biggest question is: I hope the grass is in better shape. We were down there in week one, um, and it was terrible. I, I thought the, the field conditions were terrible. Now, when you when you do the Super Bowl, you get the the the, the best of the best manicuring that thing, and I'm hoping that it's better. I didn't reports during the season were that the that the field conditions weren't great either. I did, I only saw a photo of it today, and it looked it looked greener. So hopefully that the field conditions are are better because it was I. We were amazed that uh, to start the season this year down there, that was the the Chiefs opening game that that it was in such rough shape. So I'm hoping that it's a, it's a much better field condition. Uh, you should be able to grow grass down there at least when it's not 125, you know, in the summer. In view of the fact that both teams <laughs> look, uh, Philadelphia's got a, a tremendous defense. Kansas City's defense is rock solid. I don't expect this to be a shootout to you. Mm, well, no, not, not, you know, 35 or whatever, but can you get to, you know, low thirties, upper twenties, low thirties? Yeah. It's pretty much where the chiefs have been pretty much where the Eagles have been. Um, I think both defenses again, will have a say in this one for sure, but their offenses have, have done enough. And I think the chiefs can, can kind of score on anybody. We've seen this team face number one defenses seemingly all the time. They're number one in this or number one in that. And I don't have much fear about how this offense kind of performs. It's uh, a lot of times there's no knock on the defense, but it's a lot of times like, Hey, give up, 
you know, you're going to get up 20. You're going to win most of these games. And so I think, uh, I think that for this team, it's, you know, score in the upper twenties, keep a team in the low to mid twenties and you're winning a lot of football games, which we've seen. Uh, you've been to the Super Bowl before, I think what, th- probably three of the last four years. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I remember, I remember my first Super Bowl. Uh, it was, I want to say it was 98 uh, when uh, Brett Favre won the Super Bowl. And that, that was my first, I remember how keyed up I was to where I went up in the, in the booth Matt Mellon, my partner went down to the field. I went up to the booth to kind of see, you know, what was going on. And then I walked to, I tried to find an empty booth when nobody was there. And I walked into this one booth and I sat there for a few minutes, just collecting my thoughts. I wasn't nervous. I was excited. The door opens and Paul Tagliabu, the commissioner walks in. I was sitting in his box. I didn't know it. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, and he knew me. Uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just kind of just getting my thoughts together and so on. He says, well, stay here for as long as you want. I'm going to go get some coffee. You want? I said, that'd be great. I don't know if you remember Val Pinchbeck. <laughs> nice. do, you, do you remember I Val don't. Pinchbeck? I don't know that name. He was head of communications for the league. So I'm sitting in the in the box and, and, and Val comes in. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm getting my thoughts together and so on. He goes, well, you know, it's the commissioner's box. I said, well, Paul was just here. He's, he's I sent him out for coffee. Yeah, I sent him out for coffee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Paul walks back in, puts a cup of coffee down in front of me, stands back and drinks his coffee. Val looks at me. He goes, I didn't realize you had this kind of juice. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, look, like it was a security taking you out of there, right? Yeah, no, I wasn't concerned about that. Look, the Super Bowl is a tremendous event. Uh, Radio Row, that week leading up to it is always kind of intriguing. You get to see a bunch of old friends. So from that standpoint, I think this is going to be a good game. I mean, I don't have a horse in the race. I think it's going to be a good game with two very well-coached teams, two teams that have a lot of interest because of Mahomes, because of Hurts, because of the defenses. Uh, I'm looking for this to be, I think, the first team to 30 wins. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That's that's a safe that's a safe uh, assumption. Maybe they don't need. Maybe neither team gets to the to the 30s. We'll see. Maybe kind of upper 20s kind of feel. But that's kind of where I'm at at least early on. I know there's some Chiefs fatigue certainly, as you mentioned, three out of four. Uh, that the Chiefs have been in, uh, but I, I do think this is a, a very compelling matchup for a lot of the storylines that, that you had mentioned, and then then obviously you know the two number one seeds. These are the two teams that were the number one seeds at the end of the season, right? We expected them; they should have been in this game. The two best teams going should be playing in this game, and and we do at least have that coming up here a week from Sunday. Enjoy your time out there, Josh. I know you will, and you stay safe. All right, thank you. He's Josh Klingler from Kansas City Chiefs Radio. Getting ready for the Super Bowl, uh, a Super Bowl that, uh, I don't know, I think there's a lot of storylines here. I think it's going to be very interesting. Let me break away just for a second, because something's been eating at me for days. Ever since I watched the Lakers and the Celtics uh, a couple of days ago, and a lot has been made of a non-call that LeBron James drove to the basket, that his team was down one Drives to the basket, I think with four seconds left, clearly gets hit on the arm up here. No question in my mind. And it wasn't the only bad call of the day. Twice, once for each team, they challenged a call. And both times, the challenge overturned the call, which means the initial call was wrong. Throughout the entire second half, I can't count how many late whistles there were 
Look, I love the NBA. I really do. I enjoy the game. I've been playing it since I'm a kid. I love the game. And I watch, and it doesn't make any difference if LeBron James is a superstar or not. A foul is a foul. But when a foul or non-call determines the outcome of the game, I have a problem with that. And I think that the league needs to take a real hard look. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when there were two officials in a game. Now there's three. What are we waiting for? A fourth official? Replay was instituted in the league for a reason. And when you challenge, and even though you're successful, you lose it, you're done. You don't get another challenge. Something wrong with that. I think you should have another challenge, regardless of what's going on, in the last two minutes of every game. That would help. Would it solve the problem? Not necessarily. Look, everybody makes a mistake. I'm not saying that the officials should be hung uh, out to dry because they blew a call. I'm just saying that we got to do a better job. The league has to do a better job. Plain and simple. The NFL, same thing. The league has to do the best possible job when it comes to determining the outcome of the game. But when a foul or a non-foul dictates the outcome of the game, I have a problem with that. Now, James got fouled. Had he made two free throws, and there's no guarantee he's going to make them. You, you like his chances, but if he makes two free throws, the Lakers win the game. I'll take it even a step further. Based on the research I've done, there are three games this year where the Lakers have been jobbed by bad calls or non-calls. That's three games they lost. Had they had those three games in the win column instead of the loss column, they're 13th in the, in the West right now, they would be sixth. Okay? You cannot have the outcome of games determined by a whistle. Plain and simple. I got it off my chest. I feel a lot better. And look, I'm not defending LeBron James. I think he deserves to get the calls as much as any player in the league. But with something so obvious, and you see in the picture, or an official standing right under the basket. How could you miss that? I'm done. You folks stay safe. Have a great day. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.